Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today nearly live. We're in Ottawa, Ontario with something very, very special for you today. A lost episode of the History Slam podcast. We don't have many of these, but we have more than one, and we're going to air one of them today. And this is an episode that we recorded back in the fall of 2014. And the idea behind the show was you're going to a party, and you don't really know anyone. They want to ask you history questions. You don't really feel like answering them honestly. You want to have some fun, so you just make up some stuff. That was the premise of the show that we did. And we called it fake history. We had a lot of fun recording it. We decided not to run it because in the fall of 2014, we had some other really good stuff that we wanted to get to. And by the time we wanted to run this episode, the season for which we recorded it was gone. And so we just decided just to let it sit. But in recent months, the idea of fake news becoming so much a part of the culture and that term being thrown around so loosely, we thought it'd be interesting to look back on our conception of fake history in the fall of 2014. You know, it's, it's interesting that this episode was way ahead of its time. Apparently this is something that we, we very easily could have recorded recently and an idea that we could have had based off of all the discussion about fake news. But we had this idea just as a way to have fun at a party, uh, to come up with some fake history stories. And one of the reasons we, we've decided to run it now is we hope it's instructive to see how easy it is to come up with these fake things and to come up with fake things that can sound plausible, that they could fit, they could make sense, but they're just off the top of someone's head. So in the discussion about fake news that has been such an ongoing issue in the political climate, both in the United States and in Canada, and I would assume also in, in Europe with the elections going on across Europe right now, that this idea of what is real news and what is fake news is starting to lose its meaning. Fake news was, and in my mind still is, stuff that is made up out of nowhere and has absolutely no basis in fact. That it was just made up out of thin air. And those are the stories that when we talk about fake news, that's what we're talking about. The way fake news, the term, has started to be applied, however, is to news that doesn't fit your agenda. And this happens on both the left and the right, that people accuse commentators from the other side of engaging in fake news when it's something that they disagree with. A good example this week was Sean Hannity going at Ted Koppel over fake news for editing an interview. That's not fake news. You can argue about the honesty and the ethics that go along with editing and certainly Ted Koppel's point of view on political commentators on news channels and the identification of these commentators versus the hard news and the way the channels operate in terms of what is clearly identified as the hard news and what is the commentator, the way in a newspaper, the opinion page is clearly 
marked as the opinion page, do you get that same demarcation or on a news channel? And certainly that is a valid question, but the idea behind that being fake news is, of course, ridiculous. I mean, Sean Hannity said what he said. I think the context in which he said it is fine. You can make a case that they sh- that CBS should have aired the entire interview or, or if not aired the entire interview, made it available. I think that's a valid argument to be made. But the term fake news doesn't apply to either side of this debate. Fake news applies to stuff that is made up out of thin air. And that's what we're doing on this episode. There's a group of us. We got together. It was on American Thanksgiving. It was just before the football game started. So we got together and, and did this episode where we just made stuff up out of thin air. And again, the point of running this now is just to show how easy it can be to come up with plausible sounding things that, especially in the context of news, if it fits your preconception or your worldview, you really have to be wary about the source and and really think about where it's coming from and think of its validity and I hope that in listening to the show, I think it's a fun show. We have a lot of fun with it and we have a, we had a lot of laughs recording it. And I hope that comes across sort of the lightness of the idea and just trying to have some fun with it. But at the same time, I hope it is instructive to see just how simple and just how easy it can be off the top of your head to come up with something that sounds plausible and could sound reasonable, but be completely fake at the same time. So I haven't edited this show since 2014. I edited it at the time in planning to run it, but I haven't edited it since then. So we're going to run it in its entirety and including the intro again. Uh, without the music, I think we'll just run my, my spoken intro, but we decided to run it in its entirety. So you get a full sense of how we approach the idea of fake history way back in the fall of 2014. Enjoy. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham, coming at you today nearly live. It's always fun when we can go out of town to record these things, uh, and we've done that today. We've traveled long and far out of Ottawa to Nepean, Ontario, where the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Boys lives. That's right. Thank you for coming out here and making the trip all the way out. It's, it's, <laughs> it was really quite a voyage, and uh, I was happy we had enough provisions uh, I was worried somebody would get dysentery, like the Oregon Trail game. Do you guys run out of anything along the way? Are you guys all right? Just patience. I can understand Just that. patience with where you live. I can understand That's that. That's about it. I like it. You know, we had to get up so early this morning. We did. <laughs> Beat the traffic. Fight the traffic. It was it was awful. I didn't have to go anywhere, so I didn't. Yeah. I really didn't mind for me. Uh, but we're, we're out here, and it is uh, my favorite day of the year. It's American Thanksgiving, which is always a good time. So we're sitting around... Uh, having some fun. We're going to watch football a little bit later. But it's also uh, Christmas season, which means Christmas parties and awful conversations with people who don't know anything about history. So we thought it would be fun if we gave you some examples of ways that you can mess with people a little bit. And when people ask you about history, because I don't know if you guys had this experience, people are like, oh, you do history. What do you know about this? Some I don't know about. And then I just come up with fake answers to those questions. So we're going to do that today. We're going to come up with some fake historical reasons as to why things uh, exist the way they do. So we've got a solid group here today. We have, to my right, Jeremy Garrett. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Patrick Fournier of the Prime Minister's Fantasy Draft fame, the winner of the Prime Minister's Fantasy Draft on the show. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Aaron Boys, we've already introduced. I'm here. And making his debut appearance on the show, Andrew Gallero. Thank you, sir. Gentlemen, this is how it will work. 
we have a series of either social conventions or things that exist that I'm not really sure why they exist. One at a time, we're going to pull them, come up with fake reasons as to why they exist, and then the other people will sort of chime in, comment, maybe add to the story a little bit. So that's how this is going to go down. So I think we'll give the honor to the new uh, new cast member, Mr. Gallero. So go ahead. we got a pile of, of paper here in the middle with uh, things that you can just pull. All right, let's see what we got here. Why the white flag signifies surrender. Well, see, this is an interesting one because the white flag although certain variations of it, it was the historical flag of France. So this was the flag that the Bourbon kings and the Valois before them, uh, they used to wave when they were on the battlefield and they knew that they didn't have a chance. So typically they were fighting against uh, the English, as in the Hundred Years' War, or during the Italian campaigns when they're fighting against the Spanish. Um, this was a flag that actually saw a lot of usage. Um, and in some cases, so they, would use, they would use that flag and it would be passed down through the generations. I mean, there are instances of them using these flags in the Second World War very quickly after the Declaration as well. So that's, uh, that's the story there. Now, I just want to chime in here for a moment because our esteemed host can't keep it together. I mean, he's honestly, folks, if... If we were filming this, he's literally crying. I mean, there like, honestly, there are legit tears in his eyes. It's it's, it's just brilliant. Did, Did somebody see... order a lobster? Like... <laughs> Did you see the look on his face? He was so serious. What did he say? Uh, you know, I had a job to do, and uh, oh I had to go God. first, so let's set the stage. No, I think your explanation makes sense, it's, uh, and it's funny. very plausible. I think yeah. you are right on track. Yeah, I mean, they got rid of the little gold uh, fleur-de-lis and so on, but, uh, yeah, it got but otherwise the white flag tradition continues. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty spectacular. So how was that for the first time I ever? Very, I very much enjoyed that. that uh, yeah, you oh, set the bar pretty high. That was really good. <laughs> that was excellent. Just yeah, so, you, you sounded just so genuine. That was great. I'd believe that. If I, I, think, yeah. if I was standing around in a Christmas <laughs> yeah, yeah. party and the look on Andrew's yeah. I would totally believe it. Yeah, totally I think I think part of it is that he believes it himself. Right. So it, <laughs> it's, not George, yes, it's, not it's not a lie. Yes. It's not a lie if you believe it. It's not a lie if you believe it. All right. Yeah. Very good. All right. I don't know how you're going to follow that. Oh, I have to follow that. We'll just go in the circle. <laughs> oh, no. <I'm> clockwise. <laughs> oh, no. This is going to be a disaster. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't know if I can use that either because we, we get the emails from French people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's offensive. <laughs> I, I, this is off the rails really quick. <laughs> that was so funny, was though. That was so funny. <laughs> okay. What'd you get? So the question that I have is, why Ottawa is our nation's capital? Mm. Well, instead of Nepean. Instead of Nepean, that's right. Well, as the story goes, when Fathers of Confederation were trying to figure out where they were going to put this capital, obviously it, it shifted around between uh, Montreal, Toronto, Kingston, and Quebec City. And they needed to pick uh, a capital just sit where it is. Now, the story goes that Queen Victoria just stuck her finger on the map and then boom, that was Ottawa. That just happened to how it was. It's not entirely true. She was actually throwing darts. She was, she was actually really bored one day. She was sick of uh, hearing all about her colonial possessions. She was kind of getting a little annoyed by hearing about this stupid Canada thing that was going on. So she was just throwing darts randomly. And then the ministers came in and said, your, high, or your majesty, we need, we need a capital for Canada. And she said, well, wherever my last dart landed, that's where it's going to be. So don't let anyone tell you that she, she pointed a finger at No, she was throwing darts at her uh, colonial possessions. And that's, 
How can uh, Ottawa can be? That's were, good. Were darts had darts already been invented then? In this alternate history, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> actually, you know, I had actually heard that she had them commissioned. She came up with the okay. idea, had them commissioned. Oh, there we go. So that she could decide the capital. I think she went to the pub and then saw people throwing lives and then just, oh, that's a good yeah. idea. We should do darts instead. But something a little more accurate. Yeah, it makes sense. See, because the story I had heard is that they had taken McDonald and Cartier and sort of pushed them down the hill uh, into the valley here and they couldn't get out because they were so drunk. But they kept falling down and rolling back into the hill. And they said, well, let's just start a town. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I hate to be the guy standing in front of the dartboard, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Darcy McGee must have been part of that. Uh, right, yeah. Part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. heavy drinking. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Now, here's the thing. How big was the map? Well, it must have been huge. Map of the world. Like map of the world? Well, yeah. I mean, you're, talk, you're talking about the British Empire here. I yeah. mean, obviously the sun's never setting on the British Empire. Mm-hmm. She's just tossing darts at all of them. Never so is that how the they world. picked the capital of like India and South Africa and all the islands? In the now, Caribbean? see, I'm going to actually shift that focus to my friend here who studies British yeah. empirical history. Or so. Yeah, we have an expert. Exactly. So I'm going to take a step back and remove myself from that. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a similar it was a similar pattern actually when they're naming capitals, whether it be in Canberra, whether it be New Delhi. Uh, it wasn't always darts that they threw uh, at the the map, but uh, you know they usually had something. Sometimes they used a little ball or uh, another toy or a trinket. You know, it's whatever they felt like doing, and then that's where they would establish the new capital. Now you say they. Now, is that her ministers, or was that... Yeah, 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 yeah no, uh, Oh, it's a council. It must have been a council. It, it, well, it was, it, typically it was the queen, uh, or king, depending on the time period, uh, but Victoria did name a lot of these capitals, and, you know, along with her minister, whether it was Melbourne, whether it was Disraeli, I mean, they used to hang out and have a, a damn good time, you know, <laughs> who knows uh, the alcohol they got into, but they Johnny were, Mac was they were found, in, they were found in cities all over the world. You mean, so, like, during the London conference, Johnny Mac was just... Just ripping it up in London. He's got stories. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Fournier, oh, you are up. So, the question I have is, why Saturday and Sunday are the weekend instead of other days? I would say that it's most likely because it's a problem with the English dictionary, mm. I think. Because, as you know, before, what, the 1900s, French was the main language used in Europe, and it should have been in the other uh, countries as well. So when the English just decided to use their own days to decide, okay, well, this is the week, um, they used the Saturday, well, sat, well, they just sat on it, obviously, <laughs> and Sunday, well, it was sunny that day, so I guess, well, it was pretty fun to be sitting down the day before, we just might as well just sit down and watch the sun. Mm. Oh, there you have it, Sunday. Mm, interesting. It's it's it, I guess it's something that was lost somewhere. In lost in translation. Oral, yeah, in oral history. Yeah, or kind of like Pat's uh, explanation. Actually, you know, you're thinking about it. It's uh, it's springtime. You're in Paris. You know, you want a couple days off. Saturday, Sunday, you get a twofer. I like it. And you could probably also sew up your flags, your white flags. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> sew some color on there. <laughs> But boy, were they mad during the revolution. You remember when they tried to change the calendar on them? Oh, Seven God. days to ten days? Yeah. Oh, boy. That was screwed up. <laughs> Is that a real thing? Yeah. That's absolutely real. Yeah, they changed the months as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah. With, according they... to, uh, I think it was, um, like, 
the fields and everything. So we have uh, and the weather and stuff like that. So they wanted 10-day so, weeks? So it's kind of like going to a metric system yeah. of yeah, sorts. Yeah, pretty much. Really? Yeah, they had, uh, yeah, they had, wasn't that 10 hours? Um, so 20 well, hours? Off the top of my head, it was a 10-day week. It was 10-day weeks, but I think they changed and the hours of the, of the day as well, yeah, as well. But they changed all the month names. And wow. Everything. And I guess, yeah, the, the English said, screw that. Yeah, who needs that? Yeah, exactly. Now the British stepped in and said no? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, well, they stepped in and then they fought France. Well, yeah. Well, we've been glad to the Hundred Year War, too. Yeah. Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Garrett, your turn. All right. Why American elections are held on Tuesdays? Well, originally, they actually wanted to hold them on Mondays. Mm-hmm. The problem is, everyone was just uh, back uh, during the you know, American Confederation, or the uh, Declaration of Independence, I should say. Yeah. Everyone was too drunk on Monday, which is when they originally wanted to hold it. Mm. And the Friday, everyone was partying, because, of course, we already had our Saturday and Sunday. So Friday would start, Saturday and Sunday, they were still partying. Monday, they were hungover. They couldn't even stand up. Mm. So it just left with Tuesday, and they had to hold them on Tuesdays. had to hold them on Tuesdays. Well, so that makes sense, because obviously, before there were secret ballots, you had to have open elections, so you had to declare publicly right. who your candidate was for. And most of the time, when people wanted, uh, or officials wanted a vote, they would get people to come over to their place and feed them with extravagant foods and liquors to help, you know, kind of liquor them up to get them to go out there and vote for them. So, I mean, it makes sense, because now you've got not a three-day bender, you've now stretched it into a four-day bender. So Tuesday on election day allows more social drinking. So it's really sort of the advent of putting holidays on Mondays for the long weekend. That's yep. right. Same idea that you can stretch out your weekend a little bit more effectively with the election on a Tuesday. Because then you've got a four-day bender. Instead mm-hmm. of a twofer, right. you now got a four-day bender. Well, doesn't this also link into the story of why the United States doesn't have uh, the $2 anymore? Because uh, you used to be able to give $2 to buy a vote while, you know, they would... Two dollars you're giving out, they just use that on Monday because they bought the vote on Monday, drink it all up, and uh, they were going Tuesday to go vote. Tuesday. 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 There we go. But you know, it's for the same reason that they have Thanksgiving on a Thursday, right? Make it a long weekend. Make it a long yeah, weekend. A long yeah, weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. It was a similar case in Britain, actually, when the advent of the industrial uh, factory worker, the factory owners knew that productivity on Monday wasn't going to be all that good. Same on Friday. So it just made sense to schedule major events like this between Tuesday and Thursday, the real work week. Now, is that why they collect the post on Friday? So it's mail it in Friday? I think so, probably, yeah. Because, yeah. I, th- yeah. I mean, it, it's something that you hear all the time. Is yeah. I mean, I've definitely done it before myself, saying when I'm trying to work on my dissertation, it's, it's Friday. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do anything today. Well, I'm just going to mail it mail in. Mail it in. It's noon. Mail it in. Yeah. And two, and don't forget about Pants Off Monday, um, which is totally a thing. I think only celebrated by our uh, illustrious host. Pants off Monday, Tony Kornheiser. When the Redskins win, it's pants off Monday. Obviously, he's not celebrating too many pants off Mondays this year, though. No, they stink. But the possibility of... I like the idea of a pants off Monday. (coughs) Now, do you follow that with the Bears? Yeah, which is why I always have pants on. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've decided then that Monday and Friday are essentially useless days. Is that that what we've decided here? I think so. By committee, yeah. Is it weird then that my favorite time to teach is Monday night? <laughs> is that, kind of. Is that strange? Well, I think that by that point, the students have mailed it in. Yeah, probably. For the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like to believe that they've hit their high point on Monday nights, and then nothing else could top it. I don't know. Isn't the high point usually Wednesday? I mean, it's hump day, right? Hump day, yeah. Isn't that what that comes from? The high point, like on a camel? 
Yeah, well, if you're getting over the hump of the week. Yeah, so that's your high point. Build and come down. That's your high point. You climb the mountain and you go down. That's really an Anglo thing because I've never heard of that. You never heard the hump day expression? No. I don't know if that's in here, but uh, Uh, that's a free one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So what is mine? Oh, why is there no 13th floor in buildings? Now, see, people think that this is a way to avoid bad mojo in buildings. That it's bad luck to have a 13th floor. See, that's actually not true. See, the first time they ever built a building in ancient Rome that went higher than 12 floors, they had a 13th floor in this building, and it was the penthouse. And so all your top guys who worked for the emperor would live in the penthouse of this apartment building in ancient Rome. And what had happened was, after Julius Caesar got killed, all the guys are up there talking about what should we do next, what should, do, what should we do next. And little known fact is that they were actually rushed by the town who went up, took the elevator up to the 13th floor and had a massacre of all the guys who were loyal to Julius Caesar. There were elevators in ancient Rome. Yeah. Okay. That's what I took out of the story, too. Hand crank. Yeah, pulley elevators. Pulley systems, right? So they went and they said to the attendant, 13th floor, please. And these attendants didn't get paid that much, so they didn't ask for ID. So they just pulled <laughs> yeah. these guys up to the 13th floor. And there was a huge massacre yeah. on the 13th floor of all these guys who were loyal to Julius Caesar. And they said, well, this is clearly no good. We can't have... It's like when they retire a, a flight number when a plane crashes. They don't have that flight anymore. And after that terrible event in ancient Rome, no more 13 floors. True people story. On, people True on story. the 14th floor, they know what's going on, though. But it's not the 13th. You know if you're flying from wherever to wherever, and there was a plane crash on that route, you're still flying that same flight, but the f- number is different. So the you know, the symbolism is, is different. That's true, I guess. Yeah. Uh, see, and that makes sense, then, because I can all, uh, there's still some parts, some buildings that have the 13th floor. They're trying to get the massacre mm. to happen again. I know uh, when I lived in uh, the Ottawa residence, I lived on the 13th floor. There... I also had the uh, added uh, benefit of living in the 13th room on the 13th floor. Oh, you must have drawn the short straw. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I think you should maybe leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be around you. Bad, bad voodoo here. See, yeah. I don't know about you guys. When I hear 13th floor, I think the Tower of Terror at yeah. Walt Disney World. That's what I always just think of, and obviously going up in the Twilight Zone, all of a sudden we end up on the 13th floor, and then the elevator kicks out, and we plummet, and Mm. now I'm assuming Disney calls it a ride, but I'm I'm not convinced. I think they should just realize that every time they get up to the 13th floor, something bad happens. Maybe Mm. they should stop it at 12, but no. Just a suggestion to Disney. Yeah, it's weird. Like they want to take people up to see the view exactly of MGM, right? Yeah, and then as soon as and that's why people go. Yeah. Yeah, and then as soon as you get up there, if you you fall, yeah. I, I don't think that's part of the ride. No, and every time? Every time. Yeah, some, yeah, that doesn't seem right. See, I've been on the ride two or three times, and yeah. each time it happened. Now, fool me mm-hmm. once, yeah, it was on me. But the yeah, second yeah. time, I thought, no way this is going to happen again. What are the odds? Exactly. Third time, I don't know. Didn't see that coming. I think I think my siblings <laughs> probably wanted to go on it again. I, I mean, but so. how many times do you need to see that view? Pretty spectacular sure view. Spectacular it's view. It's kind of nice up there. Yeah, you know, at some point you got to say, I mean, this elevator clearly needs to be serviced. That's right. And I know there's always long lines for the thing, but you could probably shut it down for a half hour and get a maintenance guy. You'd think there. so. Or just do maintenance overnight, you know. You could do that too. They're closed every night. It seems irresponsible by Disney. Someone's going to sue them. That's right. Mm. Well, they... me, because I went three times. That's on me. 
That's right. Maybe you can get them for the first one. Get in a, on a class class action lawsuit. Yeah, that's right. But then by the time that you get on the third that's time, right. you're like, okay, come on, man. That, that's, yeah. on, that's on you. Well, it's too. And they have that ride about Briar Rabbit where you see the Briar Rabbit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got wet on it. Like, did, how... they, did, did they send you down on yeah, a, like a water shoot as well? It's this wonderful little story about Briar Rabbit and then all of a sudden I'm wet. I get splashed with water. What, what's the deal with that? Well, see, there I, really should be something in the name of the ride that indicates that you might get wet. You'd think. You'd think. It's a terrible, Maybe terrible job. Splash Mountain. That's a great name. See, if they named it Splash Mountain. Then you'd know. Then you'd know. Then you'd know. As opposed to Briar Rabbit Story Ride. That's you right. You like it? Were you born an adult? <laughs> kids usually love to get splashed. I was I I was an adult when I went. I see. I was an adult. It's a cute story. Well, there's one point. Although the story you had, you had kitty expectations. The story actually doesn't make any sense. There's one point where actually there's some major holes in it. Where you go outside and you kind of see a bit of the park mm. before you go back in. And of course, Florida it rains every single day. Huge downpour when my family and I were on the ride, so we got drenched. So by the time when we went down on the water side, we were like, yeah, all right, bring it on. Because everyone else was wearing ponchos and everything. Yeah. We are like, no, bring this on. Let's go. We're already drenched. Who you cares? Are, you are pot committed at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, we were, we were in. Yeah. All right, next one. We're back to All Mr. right, Gyro. back to me. So let's time see, to learn something. Let's see yeah. what we got. It's, it's well, I guess we could randomly assign them now. Yeah. We've all gone. That's true. I think Andrew should go. I agree. Yeah, I think so, too. I agree. He's the star of this podcast, I think. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just getting my feet wet. Not at Disney World. All right, so we're drawing this one completely at random. Question is, why do we say gesundheit uh, to somebody after they sneeze? Uh, So this is uh, another interesting story, believe it or not. This one comes from the 20th century, and it's actually, it's somewhat of a two-part story, actually. Gesundheit being obviously a German word. It was a word that uh, other European uh, parents and teachers used to teach the children uh, especially in Italy and France and even in Britain uh, during the time of the First World War and then later again during the Second World War. Uh, and the reason they started doing it is they feared uh, German invasion and they thought, well, you know what? We better brush up on our German. Um, you know, we've been studying French in school for so many years, but maybe we backed the wrong horse. So they started saying it. And, you know, it, it happened in very small circles at first, you know. Uh, hush, hush. Parents would tell their children at the dinner table, you know, when you sneeze, when your sister sneezes, you be sure and tell her gesundheit. And, you know, just passing on a few words, they said, you never know if the occupation uh, comes, say, in Britain to the British Isles, you, you better know a few words. So that's the story with uh, See, I heard gesundheit. a variant on there. In fact, what it was is around the First World War, uh, when Britons feared a German invasion, they tell their children, British parents would tell their children, that if they they don't behave or whatever, that a German is gonna that German soldier is gonna come and get them in the night. So if they sneeze and they say Gesundheit, the German soldier will be taken aback by it and think that he's back in Germany and will leave and instead mm. of taking them away. So it's that kind of saying Gesundheit. It's a protective to pro- Exactly. Mm. That's 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 the variation that mm. I heard on it. Mm. German boogie na- boogie man. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Mr. Gesundheit. Yeah. <laughs> the Gesundheit man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are variations of that that exist. Um, uh, in the Dutch tradition, uh, the fear was that uh, St. Peter would take them to Spain or something. So I've heard different stories related to that. Now, what does Mr. Gesundheit do? Is he like the traditional boogeyman? 
He's dustier. Just he's dustier sneezing back in. Yeah. Oh. oh. He's kind oh. of like the anti oh. the anti Father Christmas, isn't he? Oh. So wait. Okay. So wait. If you say Gazuntite, does that sort of scare him off? Yeah, and you won't get deported. And he won't come and oh. stuff your sneeze back in. <laughs> I have no idea if the mic picked that up, but that was so funny. Well, we've all had that experience. We've all had that experience where you're about to sneeze and then it stops and you've got this ridiculous look on mm. your face and you're you're so waiting for that sneeze, for that satisfying sneeze, and then yeah. you're stuck there with that stupid look on your face. Yeah, that's so I see, whenever you try to sneeze and it doesn't come out, it's like, God damn it. <laughs> and when you do sneeze, it's like, God bless you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that's a very good explanation. That's uh, that's your vinegar face. <laughs> now I don't know what that is, but who, who knows? It's an unknowable. The look on your face when you drink vinegar, or smell it. That too. One or the other. Is yeah. When you sneeze, that's what you. Look, yeah. That's what you look like. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Much even that happens. So there's two. Uh, there's two left on the table here. Um, I know what they both are, so I won't go again. Go I'll take one. I'll chime in. All okay, right, let's see. Say. All right, gentlemen. Why we read left to right. Well, the reason why we do this, actually, it's so for all of us people who are right-handed, it's to pick on lefties. That's the only reason why they did it, because left-handers, of course, are a minority in the population. And it's predominantly right-handers. And mm-hmm. then so obviously you start with the worst on the left and you work your way to the best <laughs> on the right. And that's the only reason why I did it. You, again, you start on the left side because, you know, no one really cares about the lefties. And then you move to the right-hand side, the more dominant side. And, of course, I say this because our host, Sean Graham, is left-handed. And so mm. I wanted him to let him know mm. that in, you know, that social hierarchy scale that yeah. he's clearly... So, wait, you're redhead and left-handed? <laughs> yes. Yep. God hates you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a persecuted minority in this respect. And I'll tell you what. And this is completely real in our fake history show. Universities of this country need to improve their facilities for left-handed people. I remember being an undergraduate student in theaters at Nipissing University. I have very good things to say about Nipissing University, except for the theaters for left-handed people. You go in, and in a theater of 70 seats, there's seven seats that I can sit in. And they're all in the aisle, and all these laptop people... And this is before everyone had laptops in, in class. The laptop people would want to be on the aisle because that's where the outlet is. And so all these laptop people are in the seats where I can sit. I have seven places to sit. And they're going to take them. And I say, excuse me, can I please sit in the seat so I can actually write? And they say, no, I need the outlet. And then i got to take up two seats because I can't write. In the, I can't adjust and like, break my back. i got to take up two seats. It's really awful. To, for, to be a left-handed person in a university lecture hall. Now, I'm going to say, because at Trent University, the library, they've since changed it, but when I was an undergrad student there, there weren't many outlets in the library. And so I know it's not the same situation, but it's like trying to get up there. There's a few seats that were right near the right near the outlets. And so, of course, it doesn't matter where you're going. You want that seat. And so if I were fighting with you for that spot for the, versus outlet versus you being left-handed, I'm sorry, I'm taking the outlet. I need the outlet for my laptop. But that's so selfish. Yeah, but remember, there's only, there's, what, 10% of the uh, population is left-handed? So 70, 70 seats, 7 being left-handed, you're good. So give me my seat. Well, no, because I, you know, I need an outlet for my computer. Why do you think you're better than me? Because I've got a computer. He's not red-handed. You, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah. You, you know, there's almost something sinister about that. Then you, as the left-handed person, you have to take up two seats. So then who looks like the jerk, right? <laughs> exactly. Where, what about the kid who comes in late? Where is he supposed to sit? On he can't. He's got to sit on the stairs. And that's your fault. And it's your fault. Not mine. Because you I'm got... Not, but I'm not going to lose any sleep your over fault. it. You should, because that kid is crying. He's still sitting there, waiting for a seat. <laughs> <laughs> he's still there. Ten years later. He never graduated. No, he's still there waiting he for a couldn't, seat. He couldn't see the board. Yeah. Oh, okay. That does make me yeah. sad. But it is. It really... It's legitimately frustrating. And being a... Oh, man. Trying to cut anything with scissors... You gotta get the green ones. You gotta get the green ones. The left-handed. You know that there's one of those in a class for 50 kids. Okay, what I mean to say is maybe you should just open up a leftorium like they do in The Simpsons. (laughs) Because it sounds like (laughs) your life is so hard. I think you should just now that you're Doctor Sean Graham, use your degree and open a leftorium. (laughs) Doctor Graham's leftorium. That's right. Wonder Wonder leftorium. Yeah, something. I think he's trying to pitch it because we're PhD students. We'll never get a job. I need a job at the leftorium. Yeah, we'll all go work for. I'm right-handed, but I will work at the left at the leftorium. Yeah, you have to wear a glove. I'll pretend that I'm lefty. Yeah, me too. Uh, I will I, pretend that I'm left-handed to help you out. You can keep that up for like two hours, but then you get so frustrated by it, you go back. You know, your writing will just be so big on the page. It's just not worth <laughs> it. But that's okay. Right. People will just think you have a problem. That's the other thing. When you're writing with a pen, I can't use fountain pens because it smudges everything yeah. and you get it all on Yeah, but this you're part weird your about your pens anyway. You won't write with blue ink. Correct. Blue ink is useless. Get so, out. so maybe left-handed Why? people should be writing Why? the other way. Why do you need it? Why do you need blue ink? It's different. Have you ever... I've never in my life picked up... A, or since I've been... Since I'm 10 years old, picked up a book and seen anything other than black text inside. So why in the world, when I'm writing stuff that I presumably need to read, which is why I'm writing it down, would I write in anything other than black? Why not? Because you, it's easier to read stuff that's written in black ink. Not that much. I mean, it's not green. No, it's noticeably. I, I, that's one of the reasons I don't like to have midterms or exams in my courses. I don't want to read blue ink. I just don't want to. Get out with blue ink. So it's like the people who refuse to sign their name in red ink. People refuse to sign yeah. their name in red ink? Yeah, I knew someone who, like, one of my old managers who refused. Really? Yeah. Huh. I don't know. He's Italian, so maybe you can, you can explain why that would be. I don't know. I never understood that. Because you think you're signing your name in blood or something? He's, he's refused maybe. to sign his name maybe in, in like red ink. Tradition. Yeah. Maybe oh. it's tradition that, yeah, you can't write. It's, it's like, like a could be, Or maybe he, maybe he didn't know how to sign his name. He would be embarrassed to mark an X. He would write it in black or blue. Oh, he would. Oh, yeah. This is not red ink. So, like, yeah, you can't give him... Yeah. I try, well, it could I, I be. I tried at one point. That's a funny story. I, I, I removed the point. <laughs> Actually, like well, the red... Well, you know, it could be that he or someone in his family, you know, one of his descendants, maybe fought with Garibaldi and they were red shirts. And maybe he's ashamed Perhaps. of that. I don't know. There you go. Maybe he was a supporter of the Bourbons in the south of Italy. That I don't know. Now, that's, guys, sh- that's all shameful. All I can hear in my head is elevator music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, moving on. Last one, Jeremy Garrett gets the honor. Why ties are considered formal. Well, ties were considered formal because they first came out with them, and it was actually a way for to conceal a weapon. They could actually use ties as uh, to strangle people. So ah. to get to get into formal wear, they would put on a tie, 
and uh, they'd mingle with all the people, and then once they got their target uh, alone, they would strangle them, put the tie back on, and they could never prove it was them. Was it like laced with a garrote wire or something? Yes. Okay. Mm. So the so because of that, you know, it kept happening where you know you uh, people wanted to um, counter this movement, so they would bring in their own ties with, uh, uh, say, garrote wire or uh, or other things in it to conceal it, and uh, that's why all of a sudden ties just became a formal wear. That's actually pretty good. That's terrifying. So okay, so let me get this straight. So that, how do you explain the bow tie? Yeah, that that was my question. Yeah. It works for neckties. What a bow tie! Bow tie must be like a, the defense mechanism because how, how are you? Oh, you got that big. Oh, yeah. You got a big thing yeah. right there because then it's hard to yeah. strangle someone there. I think that's a defensive move. Mm. Yeah, unless with the bow tie, that's maybe a more ancient weapon when people were typically shorter. See, I was also thinking it sense. could be more of a modern thing where you could hide uh, powders. Oh, so poison. Oh. poison. Yeah, poison. Oh. I like say something. Sorry. No, go ahead. I say something that probably has to be cut out, but my guess that's like backup toilet paper. Because you're formal. I mean, if you go to the bathroom, there's no toilet paper. Oh, thank God, I brought my tie with me. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. The more fabric you have on you that you can remove, the more of a safety net. Yeah, and, then, and then once you've used it, so yeah, I'm more casual. It's yeah, the end of the night, I'm more casual. I'm having fun. Yes, I'm working blue tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hence, hence why bow ties are mostly black, right? That's the most popular color. I guess that's why then with the social convention is if you have a tie on your head, you're declaring to the entire room, "I'm not planning on strangling anyone." Mm. Oh yeah, no. because you know you go to a party. There's always that one person right. at the party. Or after a wedding or something like that, someone's got their tie hanging from their head. I think that's the universal sign of saying, that's all right, guys, I'm not planning on murdering anyone tonight. I'm good. Maybe they're saying, hey, look, I've used my tie, so please clear space. Move out of the way. I'm going to the dance floor. And then people give them room. Okay, but then how do you explain Brian Burke? And Brian Burke's use Brian Burke is just, just a genius when it comes to the tie. <laughs> Just a genius. He doesn't even wear them anymore. I know, that's what I'm saying. Well, actually, what you can tell is, as a, as a Leafs fan who lived through the Burke era, you could always tell how upset Brian Burke was by his tie. And that was, the, that was the telltale sign. If his tie was done all the way up, you knew that you were in trouble because he had to say something formal. If it was half done, you're thinking, uh-oh, something's going on, or he's working on something, and something's going on. Now, if it's just loose around his neck, you can tell Berkey's in a great mood, <laughs> and all's well in Leafland, and so anyway, so that's how I could tell with mm. Brian Burke. So so maybe by now, he's used all his ties to wipe away the tears. No, no, because he, he, he moved on to uh, he, to bigger he, and better things, and he's no longer with the Toronto part of the Leafs. Leafs organization. He clearly has no conscience, so... <laughs> no, I might have to wipe away my tears. Aww. We're going to be packing our bags going back to the city soon. Yeah. <laughs> hit or the old trip. dusty trail. <laughs> yeah. trail all the way back. Yeah. If someone ends up with dysentery... <laughs> grab our sacks of sad stories. <laughs> Uh, all right, thanks for doing this, guys. I appreciate it. I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. I learned a lot from Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew was solid today. That yeah. was a solid performance. I'm going Absolutely. to an event tonight in which I might have to bust out some of that historical knowledge. So, yeah. you know, feel free great. to use it. I'm here all week. <laughs> I will be texting you midway through yeah. to ask you for, uh, no, yeah, for that's advice. Right. You totally win. I'll give you a gold star. Yeah. And and Thank for you anyone much. who like that, for anyone who listened to this and wanted to amend Andrew's rate my professor profile. <laughs> Last name G A I E R O, Gaero. Just go in, 
So if you're in one of his classes, take what he says with a grain of salt. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you guys. I'm not up there yet. (laughs) And it will be by the time this is posted. (laughs) Yes. That's Andrew Gallero, the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Boys, Pat Fournier, Jeremy Garrett. If you have any uh, questions, comments for the podcast, it's HistorySlam at gmail.com, Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Good job by you. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.